Well, this morning we're going to be continuing our, our look at the series that we've been looking at this summer as we've been talking about God's calling on our life. And we've been looking at the, the subject of calling from a variety of angles. And today what we're going to be doing, and I might have to have you uh, fix the uh, slide here for me, Matt. Um, to, uh, this morning what we're going to be doing is we're going to, going to be looking at a portion of Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, when we start with the second half of verse 19, we're going to see this idea of what it looks like to dedicate your life. So if you would take your Bibles and turn there with me, I'm going to read the whole section that we're going to be looking at, starting with Acts chapter 9, verse 19, and then we're going to come back and revisit a section at a time and really wrestle with this idea of dedicating your life. What does it look like to dedicate your life? What does it mean to dedicate your life? And what kind, of, what, what kind of example is given to us in this portion of Scripture that shows us exactly what that looks like and even some of the challenges that you and I may face if we decide to do that? So Acts chapter 9, starting with the second half of verse 19, and this is what it says. And it's speaking here of the Apostle Paul, who at this time is called Saul, and it says, For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on, the, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at this portion of your word. And Lord, we know that in a, in a very real way, you have called us to dedicate our lives to honoring your name, to giving you glory, to serving you. And Lord, we're grateful that when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, we are given an example of what that looks like. You demonstrate that for us through Saul's life. And Lord, we're just so thankful for examples that you give us because sometimes that's the way that our minds learn the easiest. And so, Lord, we pray that as we look at this portion of your word, that we would have teachable spirits. We pray that we would understand what we are reading and studying together and that you would just help us to take notice of what you're seeking to accomplish in our day-to-day -day lives, and that we would say yes to you as we seek to be obedient to your leading. Thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege to be able to come together under the teaching of your word right now, and we pray that you'd speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, for the past bunch of years, and I don't remember how many years I've been doing this now, but it, it's been quite a few now, I've spent a week every August teaching classes to new pastors. And in fact, that's what I just did this past week, right up till Thursday. I got back Thursday evening. And uh, I do this in conjunction with several other pastors who have been serving in ministry for several decades. And when we're teaching those classes, what we're trying to do is we're trying to cover as much ground as we possibly can. So we talk about theology, uh, we teach about practical ministry and just day-to-day aspects of what it looks like to lead in the context of the local church. We talk about marriage and family counseling, that's a big part of what goes on in our conversations. But we also talk about things like missions, we talk about evangelism. That was a big part of our conversation this year, evangelism, and what that looks like in this particular era of history. We also talk about personal finance and a variety of other things. And one of the professors this year that taught along with me, there were four of us that taught together, but one of them this year was a man named Bill who has a very interesting life story. His father had been a pastor. His father served a variety of places, both in Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin. And Bill grew up in the church, but he didn't really get serious about his faith until he was essentially an adult. He was at the very end of his high school years, and uh, that's when he started to get serious about his faith. And when he finished his high school studies, he decided to go to college. And he decided to take a class in German because he was interested in learning languages. And he thought, all right, I'm going to start here. I'm going to take German. And so he took German, and he failed that. <laughs> and, but, it, but he didn't lose his interest in studying languages. That didn't diminish. He thought, I've got I to gotta try this again, all right? I failed German. Maybe German's not my thing. But I still have an interest in studying languages. And so eventually, he became proficient in several languages, which was kind of amazing. And then the Lord called him to serve as a missionary in Guatemala. And he said yes. And so he served for many years as a missionary in Guatemala. Now, many of you know that the primary language spoken in the country of Guatemala is Spanish. But there are also many Mayan dialects that are very prominently spoken in the country as well. In fact, I looked it up and I think I saw that there were 22, at least 22 Mayan dialects that are still regularly spoken in Guatemala. And the main one of those dialects is a language called Quiche. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, I, I first heard of it from Bill. And, but it's, uh, other than Spanish, it's the main language spoken in Guatemala. But the speakers of that language didn't have a Bible in their own language that they could read. You and I, we, it's so easy for us to just pick up a Bible. In fact, it's so easy that sometimes in my own life, I fear that, that it could be easy for us to take it for granted. Sometimes I think uh, we're just so used to having it that it doesn't feel as special to us as it really should feel. And the people speaking Quiche in Guatemala did not have a Bible in their own language that they could pick up and read, so Bill decided to give them one. No small task, right? just translate the Bible into another language. Anyone want to take on a task like that? It took him years to do it. In fact, he started with the New Testament, and in, he said, he, he, said he, he didn't realize there were systems that people had developed to do this, so he started with Matthew, and it turns out that Matthew is one of the most difficult books of the New Testament to translate. He didn't know. He just picked up. He's like, first book of the New Testament? Matthew. And he worked his way through. And then eventually he translated the Old Testament. And this was in addition to all the other work that he was doing there in the country. 
And it was fascinating. We got to see, and he had copies of his translated Kiche Bible there for us to, to look at. And it's interesting because the translation process took years. But again, eventually he was able to present a completed Bible to the people of Guatemala who speak Kiche. And I was very impressed with this story. And it also amazed me to see what the Lord's done through him and in him since he dedicated his life toward answering this calling. Again, it could have been very easy for him to tell himself, you know what, I failed German, maybe I'm just not a language guy. But he didn't do that. And now the Quiche-speaking people in Guatemala have a Bible in their language. Dedicating your life to the calling that God has placed on it is wise to do. But it doesn't always get off to a smooth start. It's not a guarantee it's going to get off to a smooth start. And a great example of that is shown to us in Acts chapter 9, where we see the Apostle Paul demonstrating this while he's still called Saul. So at this season, they still call him Saul. They don't call him Paul yet. But he's dedicating his life toward following Jesus and being obedient to the Lord's call on his life. And there's some things that this portion of Scripture demonstrates to us about what a dedicated life looks like. And when you look at verse 19 down to verse 22, it shows us that a dedicated life uses the voice that it's been given. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me reread those verses for us. It says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And just to give you some context, this is right after he was converted. This is after he came to faith in Christ. And it says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, when you read the historical book of Acts, when you get to Acts chapter 9, you have the opportunity to see the miraculous conversion of Saul, who again was later called Paul. And when I look at Paul's example, when I look at the things that took place in his life, I consider his life, I consider his conversion, I consider his subsequent ministry both inspiring and fascinating. I don't know what you did right after you came to faith in Jesus Christ, but Saul didn't waste any time when it came to the work of evangelism. He decided, I'm just going to run with it. I'm just going to go with it right now. And the Scripture tells us that once Saul became convinced that Jesus was alive, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Lord over all creation, he wanted to tell people about Jesus immediately. He didn't want to wait to do this. Immediately, he wanted other people to know about Jesus Christ. And so he began proclaiming the truth of the gospel in that context. Now, Saul was someone who knew the Scriptures. He was very well-versed in the Scriptures. But until he came to faith in Jesus Christ, he didn't fully understand what he was reading. And that's kind of a fascinating thing about the Bible, because I believe that we need divine help, divine intervention, to fully appreciate what we're reading when it comes to the Scriptures. And Saul demonstrates that. It wasn't until he came to faith in Jesus Christ that he fully understood what he was reading. But once he came to understand who Jesus is, and once he came to understand that all Scripture... By the way, this is the key to understanding the Bible. If you want to understand the Bible, ask yourself the question, how is this pointing me to Jesus? Once Saul understood that the Scriptures were pointing him to Jesus, he began to understand what he was reading. And he didn't want to waste a minute, so he begins proclaiming the message of the gospel. His life was a life, by the way, that was dedicated at one point to persecuting Christians... So this is a very dramatic transformation. 
Now he's dedicating his life to telling as many people as he possibly can about Jesus Christ. And because Saul knew the Scriptures as well as he did, I, began, I believe what he began doing, and it doesn't tell us exactly that this was his approach, but it, to me it makes a lot of sense. I believe that he probably went through the prophetic portions of the Old Testament that were pointing to Jesus Christ and began demonstrating to others that these are Scriptures that are fulfilled in Jesus. I believe he was walking through those po- prophetic portions of Scripture and, and demonstrating this is about Christ. And he came and he fulfilled it to the letter in our generation. And he was very convincing as he proclaimed the truth of the gospel to the people living in that community. Saul came to terms with the voice that he had been given. He made great use of that voice. And his example, when I look at that, it makes me wonder about you and me. Do we have full appreciation of the voice we've been given? What has the Lord equipped you to do that could also become the primary way that you introduce others to him. Now, in recent years, the Lord has started to convince me of something. And it's interesting when you think that your life is in kind of a routine and a pattern that you don't really expect to learn something new about yourself, right? You don't, you don't expect, I mean, I expect to learn new information about this and this and this, but I think at this point, usually, I tend to think, yeah, I think I've got me figured out at this point. That's a mistake, right? Because I don't. <laughs> I know my patterns. I know my my habits. I also know some of the hobbies that I've been interested in. And one of the things that the Lord's been convincing me of in the past couple years in particular, that the hobbies that I've been involved in, I should stop treating them like hobbies. They aren't just hobbies. They have a greater purpose. I used to convince myself that I was someone who did things like wrote books and wrote blog posts and recorded podcasts as a hobby. And then the Lord chose to bless those things. And then I really had to wrestle with the fact that, wait a second, this is the primary way that the Lord is allowing you to share the gospel. It is not good stewardship of these things if you treat them like a hobby. Don't skip days. Don't, you know, get distracted with something else. There is somebody somewhere that is waiting for that content. Make sure that you deliver it. Make sure that you share it. It is the, the primary door through, it used to be a hobby, and now you realize this is the main way you're sharing the gospel. So don't call it a hobby in your mind. Uh, but this past week, or excuse me, the week before last, I should say, many of you know that my family had the opportunity, and when I say my family, I mean just my wife. She's the only one that came with me. I still consider my children family, but less so. Um, <laughs> Uh, my, my uh, wife joined me for a trip to Nashville. You ever go to Nashville? We even got the t-shirts to prove that we were there. Um, Nashville's really cool because, you know, everywhere you go, there's a budding musician, right? So every store, I, I said to her, I was like, I've never been so many places that have live music. Like every place has live music. You know, you almost expect when you use like a public restroom for there to be someone in there playing guitar too. You're like, no, it's okay. I don't need you. You don't have to do that here, Right. Everywhere you go, there's somebody playing music. And we went there for a very specific reason. We really didn't get to tour Nashville a whole ton. There was like one evening that we walked around, but it was for a very brief period of time. We were there for what several of you, as you walked in this morning, called, hey, how was your nerd convention? And you didn't realize that your predecessors walking in the door had used that same joke, right? 
I went to a podcasting conference. Is that a nerd convention? Someone asked me a few weeks ago, how do you dress for a podcasting conference? I was like, what do you think? We put like Spock ears on or something like that? It's a podcasting conference. We talk about like recording stuff. They're like, nerd. I was like, yeah, all right, fine, nerd. But can I tell you, there's something interesting that's come. So if you're familiar with what I'm doing with that, I record a chapter of the Bible every day in a time of prayer, and I put it out. I record a daily devotion every day, and I put it out. I record our sermons. That's with this separate mic. Do you ever notice I wear two mics? This silver one is to record the podcast. That goes out Monday morning. And I, I put that out just because I'm sharing that, right? want people to hear the gospel. And um, in the midst of that, the Lord's taught me a whole bunch of stuff about marketing. And he's taught me about SEO. Do you know what SEO is? Most of us are like, what's SEO? Asked me a couple years ago. I didn't know either. Search engine optimization, how people can find your stuff on Google. So learning how to do how to monetize it. Would you believe that I actually make an income from doing it? I didn't realize I was going to do that, but when I started making an income from it, I didn't turn it down, right? And, um, and so here's an interesting thing that's come from all of that. I thought the most obvious way that I would be evangelizing through those means was the content that I was sharing. But here's what I've discovered. People who don't even share our faith in Jesus Christ sometimes have an interest in blogging and podcasting and writing books. And it's like they don't even care what my content is. They just want to know, how are you doing that? And can I tell you that over the past couple years, I've had more opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the common interests of book writing, podcasting, and blogging and then earning an income from that, and teaching people how they could do the same, and then realizing, okay, this isn't a hobby. I shouldn't treat that as a hobby. And so I'm using my example. I've only lived one life, so I have to use my examples, all right? But that's something, you know, I'm in my mid-40s. That's something that's like a different way to think about what I used to think was just a hobby. And I'm bringing that up to you because This is something that the Lord's been teaching me, a way to use the voice he's given me. Those hobbies became a voice. So I'm throwing this out there for your consideration. Are you using your voice? And it doesn't have to look like a traditional type of thing. I would not have realized that those would turn into an indirect form of evangelism unless the Lord had shown me that. But now he's shown me that, so I value them that way. But are you using your voice? Because you have one too. What has the Lord made you good at that can become the primary way you testify about him? What kind of hobby do you have that might be something the Lord wants you to invest in a little bit deeper so that you get a little bit better at it, so that people start asking you questions about the type of things that you're doing, and then you get to have conversations maybe with people that share your faith and people that don't. But in the midst of it, you get to tell them about the Jesus that you love and the Jesus who has equipped you and the Jesus who has called you. Don't let self-doubt, don't let personal insecurities creep into your mind to keep you from using the voice that the Lord's given you. You can get over those things and actually take the steps that the Lord's inviting you to take. I think you'll be amazed at what he's willing to do with your offering. Something else that this portion of Scripture brings out about a life that's dedicated is that a dedicated life is unstoppable. Now, what do I mean 
by that? Why would I say it that way? Why would I make such a declarative statement that a dedicated life is unstoppable? Well, look at what it says in verses 23 and 25. It says, when many days had passed, so this is after Saul had been converted, after he comes to faith in Christ, and he starts proclaiming the gospel, and he's in Damascus, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Let me pause there for just a second. Years ago, uh, I I had, uh, while I was pastoring a church up in northeast Pennsylvania, I was blessed to spend five years also working as a camp director at the same time. So I did both at the same time. And when I was directing that camp, it was very common for people to donate things like furniture or tools or various items once they no longer wanted them. And if their donations still had some life in them, we would use those donations. And I'll never forget a lawn tractor that was donated to the ministry there one particular summer. We needed lawn tractors. We had lots of lawn we had to care for. And so when people would donate lawn care equipment, we were happy to receive it. And I started it up. I was pleased to see it started up nicely. I was like, all right, we're off to a good start. You know, you never know what you're going to get with these used donations, right? Started up nicely, seemed to do a good job cutting the grass, nice level courtyard right up on the main level there. And so I tried it out. It did a nice job cutting that grass. I thought, this is great. But I soon discovered it had one fatal flaw. And it was kind of a significant flaw. If you used it on a hill, you were in trouble because it had no brakes. There was no way to stop this thing. And I didn't know that until I tried using it on a hill. And I used it on a hill, and as long as you're going sideways, you're fine. But the second you tipped the nose toward the downside, you were off. And, and I'm, there's this one hill that leads down to the baseball field, and I was mowing that. And all of a sudden, I was like, whoa, 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 and I'm trying to stop it. And I'm like, all right, thankfully, there's a baseball field ahead, so eventually this will level out. So I just got to ride it down. And you're riding it down, and then it levels out, and you're fine. I was like, okay, I had absolutely no way to stop that tractor. No way to stop it, which didn't stop us from using it. We just incorporated that into our mowing routine. It's like, if you want to take a ride down the hill, take a ride down the hill. Just don't fall off, right? When Saul dedicated his life to serving Christ, there was no stopping him. There was no stopping him. It was like a tractor going down the hill without brakes. There was no stopping him. He was faithful to his mission. And the Jewish leaders that he had once partnered with, the scripture here tells us that they put together a plot to kill him. I guess that's how you know you're good at something, right? If you're so good at it, people want to kill you to stop you from doing it because it's the only way they think they can stop you. Because there's no other way that they're going to be able to stop you. They realize there's one way to stop this guy and we'll try and kill him. But even that didn't work. God made sure that Saul heard about it ahead of time, the Scripture tells us. And with the help of the people in Damascus that Saul had been teaching, people that are referred to here as his disciples, he was secretly led out of the city, and they placed him in a basket, they attached it to ropes, they lowered it down over the city wall at night. What a fun story. Do you suppose Paul was smirking while he was being let down? I would be smirking. I think he was smirking. I think he was probably like, this is so fun. This is so fun. When do you get to do this, right? And when I read a story like this, it reminds me that a a dedicated life is literally unstoppable if the Lord is directing the steps that are being taken. 
is unstoppable if the Lord's directing those steps. No plot against Saul could stop him. No plot against Saul could take his life one day early. He would be here exactly as long as the Lord had planned. Everything that the Lord wanted Saul to accomplish would be accomplished before his time on earth would be complete. And the same is true for you, and the same is true for me. If we are in the center of God's will, fully submitted to his timing, fully submitted to his plan, we are unstoppable. The Lord goes before us. The Lord protects us along the way. There is nothing in this world to be afraid of because the Lord will surround you with the help that you need. And if necessary, I think he'll make sure that there is a basket big enough to fit you and friends strong enough to lower you over a city wall if that's what it takes. You'll have what you need. A dedicated life is unstoppable. Something else that the scripture points out that I think is very useful to notice, and that's this. A dedicated life develops a reputation. Now, let me reread verses 26 through 30, because it shows us two things about the kind of reputation that Saul had here, his old reputation and his new reputation. And it says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were, still, but, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Now, let me point something out to you real quick. The portion that I just started reading to us, I began at verse 26. And when you're reading this passage, I think it would be very easy to think that verse 26 describes something that took place maybe days or even minutes after verse 25. Because if we read it quickly, we might think that they're they're happening really, really close together. But as far as I can tell, there's actually a three-year time span that happens between those verses. Between Saul being in Damascus and then Saul visiting Jerusalem. So why am I saying that? Why am I I proposing that there was a three-year time span between those verses? I don't think it would stand out to us right away if not for other scriptures to kind of fill in the blanks for us. So how do we know that? What was Saul doing during that three-year period, by the way? Well, the answer to that is given to us in the book of Galatians. And in Galatians, Saul says this. This is in Galatians 1, starting with verse 15. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So he's saying, I didn't immediately go to Jerusalem and talk to the apostles and talk to those guys. I didn't immediately consult with them, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he's describing what's taking place during that period of time. And then he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. Cephas is another name for Peter. He's saying it was three years between that time. So what was happening in that three-year period? What was happening? Well, the Lord was directly teaching and instructing the Apostle Paul and helping him to understand these things. It was under the counsel of the Holy Spirit, learning these things, 
understanding how the Old Testament was pointing to Jesus Christ. And he went through, it's almost like a three-year period of time of rethinking his entire life and rethinking all his previous motivations and realizing he was on the wrong path with a bad reputation and needed to be on the right path glorifying Jesus Christ. Three years is a decent amount of time to commit to learning. So Jesus made certain that Saul had the training that he needed for the rest of his task. I believe it was divinely given to him. But again, Saul still had an old reputation that he needed to overcome. There were still some people in his life that viewed him through the lens of the life that he once led, and they were hesitant to let him anywhere near, near them, right? I mean, if you, if you encountered a guy with a reputation like the Apostle Paul during that era, you know, people knew that at one point he persecuted the church. They hadn't heard some updates about him. News did not necessarily travel quite as fast as what we're used to news traveling. And there were people that were very hesitant to get anywhere near him at first, the Scripture tells us. Does that sound familiar to you, by the way? Are there people in your life that treat, that, treat you that way too, who really just know the old you? They just know the old you. They haven't had a chance to meet the new you yet. I bet you there's people in your life that just know the old you. There's people in my life that just know the old me. Love for them to get to know the new me. See what Jesus has done in my life in the past group of decades. Here Paul was, was wrestling with this, right? But by this time, here you have Paul, who is still called Saul at this point, but he developed a track record of faithfulness. And now others were able to attest to that. And you got to love how Barnabas is always showing up in the New Testament doing helpful things. Barnabas, his name was really Joseph. Barnabas was just a nickname. It means son of encouragement. Now, I've had some terrible nicknames that I will never tell you because I don't want you to call me them. (laughs) Names that friends called me growing up, stuff like that. I hope that those things are forgotten. If any of them are listening to this via the recording, I hope that they will do me the solid of not revealing those nicknames to other people, right? But I got to tell you, a nickname like Barnabas, that'd be a good nickname. Son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. That's what it meant. So Barnabas was one of those guys that would come alongside other people and realize when they were discouraged and down, and he would intervene with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And he would lift them up. And here, everybody wanted nothing to do with Saul. That's hard when, when nobody wants... And it's especially the team you're on now. This is the early church, and they don't want to have anything to do with Saul. They're like, no, you've, you've arrested my cousin. You arrested my uncle. You, like, you've threatened us. We lived in fear of you. and What, you're, what are you talking about? Now you some, somehow believe in Jesus? I doubt it. And Barnabas testified. He's like, no, he really does. Like, I've seen people try and kill him because he speaks about Jesus so boldly. And he doesn't shy down. He's changed. He's a new guy. You should get to know him. Give him a chance. I personally vouch for him. He's a good guy. And because they trusted Barnabas and his reputation, they were willing to give Saul another look. And as a result, the church realized, what a wonderful gift of God that the Lord can change even the hardest of heart. And Saul became, in that moment, they recognized him as their brother, not their adversary. And Saul continued to make the gospel known. And that confirmed the words that Barnabas had said about him, and that reputation continued to grow, and it continued to grow. Here's the thing. Remember this. Your reputation will follow your dedication. Your reputation will follow your dedication. What you dedicate your life to 
not just in your words, but in your actions, in your time, in your resources, what you're dedicated to, it'll come out in your life, and that will be your reputation. Your reputation will follow what you're dedicated to. And here you have Saul demonstrating he was dedicated to Jesus Christ and to listening to the calling that Christ had given him, and that became his new reputation. So much so that in a new place, people wanted to kill him. What a great thing, right? He's like, I'm starting to notice this pattern. Everywhere I go, everybody wants to kill me. Congratulations, you've done a thing. How about this? One last thing I want to share with us this morning as we finish up. A dedicated life has a unique walk. Look at how this section finishes up. Look at verse 31 of Acts chapter 9. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Recently, my wife was telling me a story that I think she had heard somewhere, read somewhere, uh, about a man who was trying to hide his identity. And he went to great lengths to do so. I don't know all the details of everything he did to try and hide his identity. I do know he got away with it for a period of time. But she said one of the things that this guy did that she thought was really interesting was he decided to put a pebble in his shoe. And I was like, why did he put a pebble in his shoe? Why is he putting a pebble in his shoe? And she said, no, think about it. He put a pebble in his shoe so that he would limp consistently when he would go different places, and when people would give a description of him, they would talk about a guy who had a very consistent limp on a particular leg. She said he put a pebble in his shoe so he would walk a different way than he walked without it. And I thought that was interesting. And it was a very convincing limp, apparently, and he got away with this for for a period of time as he was trying to mask his identity. Well, here's the thing. In Christ, we've been given a new identity. And in Christ, you and I, we walk differently. We walk differently than we once did. And that verse that we just read from Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it demonstrates that. And the early church was learning about this, and they were learning more about this new walk that the Lord had given to them and to all who follow him. And they were observing this miraculous walk taking place in the Apostle Paul's life as well. He was a changed man. He was a dedicated man. They learned more about what it means to follow Jesus because of him. And in the process, the Scripture tells us here that the church continued to grow in faith. They learned the importance of what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. They learned what it means to walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And their faith in the midst of pressure and their faith in the midst of persecution apparently is attractive to many others who eventually became part of the family of God as well. The Scripture here tells us that the church multiplied. In the midst of all that, it multiplied. It didn't just add, it multiplied. So that's exponential growth. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. If your life has been dedicated to Christ, and if your life has been committed to the calling that He has placed upon it, you will learn to walk differently. And I also believe that the Lord will providentially direct your steps. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of Scripture like this and to see some very interesting things that you were doing in the life of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we know that that for many years he was known as Saul the persecutor, and here we are studying his life as Paul the apostle and wrestling with what it looks like to fully dedicate our lives over to you. Lord, sometimes it's a little too easy for us to try and hold 
little pieces back. Sometimes we want to hold things back from you. It's as if we uh, tell you that we're grateful for the life that you've blessed us with, but we want to keep it for ourselves. But Lord, that's not the example you give to us in Scripture. The example that you give to us in your Word is an example of what it looks like to dedicate ourselves completely to you. So thank you, Lord, for the miraculous things that you did in, in Paul's life. Thank you for the transformation that you, that you accomplished in him as you taught him to walk differently, as you gave him a, a new reputation in the midst of his generation. And as many people heard the gospel through his lips and through the lips of those that he trained and as we read things that were written about him and, and also as we frequently read through portions of Scripture that he directly wrote down. Lord, it's just amazing to be able to see the variety of things that you did in his life once you gave him that clarity of purpose, once he dedicated his life fully to you. So, Lord, we pray that we would do that, that that wouldn't be something that we would hold back from you. We pray that, that in whatever vocation we serve in, with whatever talents we have, utilizing whatever hobbies or, or side skills we have, that we would just look at it all and just say, all right, Lord, you've, you've shaped me in a unique way, with unique talents, with unique interests, redeem every one of them. Redeem every hobby, redeem every interest, redeem every conversation that I get to have with somebody else because of these hobbies, or because of these interests, or because of this vocation. And lead many people unto yourself as a result. Lord, we know that you can do that. We're so grateful for the privilege to be able to, to walk with you daily and to see you do amazing things in our lives, just like you did in the life of Paul. And so, Lord, we pray that that as we look at this day, we would say, all right, Lord, I dedicate this day to you. And as we look at this coming week, that we would say, all right, Lord, I dedicate this week to you. And that as we wrestle with what that looks like, that you would truly put us on the path where we say, all right, Lord, I'm not going to hold anything back. My whole life is yours from start to finish until I see you face to face. So, Lord, thank you for accomplishing that in our lives. Thank you for giving us a desire to even make that kind of declaration. We commit ourselves to you now, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.